The Water Values Podcast, Session 39. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey, and thanks for joining me. For those in the United States, I hope you have a great and happy Thanksgiving. And while we're saying thanks, I just want to say thank you for all you've done to help us get us to this point uh, in the Water Values Podcast. It's been eight months, and you've done a great job tweeting about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values, emailing me, interacting at conferences I've been at, uh, and suggesting topics. I mean, we've had a number of topics that our listeners suggested, so it's been terrific uh, to get that feedback from you. And I, I really want to, to say thank you for all that you've done, because without you, this podcast doesn't happen. And one thing to help others learn about the podcast, and if they're interested in water, to help get them uh, learning about water through this podcast is if you put it out there on social media, tweet using the hashtag water values, put it on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all sorts of other social media channels that you think are appropriate. Just help get the word out if you would, please. I'd really appreciate it because uh, that just helps you know spread the word, grows the listeners, and increases that interaction and, and really develops that water community we're trying to trying to build here. Well, we've got a great podcast uh, podcast for you on this Thanksgiving week. Uh, Eric Thornburg, the CEO of Connecticut Water, joins us. Eric relates his experiences from a Water for People aid trip to Rwanda, Africa. Eric also talks with us about some water utility issues in the Northeast and some labor issues that he sees looming on the water utility horizon. Uh, Eric's discussion about his Water for People trip is a great story, especially for this Thanksgiving week, because we should all be thankful that we have access to clean and safe drinking water. You know, many people are not so fortunate to have that access. So please listen on about the importance of water for people and to learn a little about some labor issues that Eric sees coming up for water utilities. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Eric, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time, especially taking out of this great National Association of Water Companies conference. Uh, to start off, why don't you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Thank you, Dave. It's great to meet you. Uh, you know, I'm currently president and CEO of the Connecticut Water Company. We serve about 300,000 people in you know, Connecticut and the state of Maine up in New England. I joined the company in 2006, and prior to that, served for 26 years with American Water number of states across the country. You know, I, when I graduated from college, I was looking to uh, get involved in a business that, you know, had a, had a service orientation to it, but also was, in fact, a business. And uh, put out the old resume, and one that hit was American Water. And I went for an interview, and after the interview, I had lunch with the president of the utility, and I just was struck by his passion, you know, for serving communities and improving water supply making a difference for the economy of the state, and I just got hit by it and, uh, and signed right up, and it's been 32 years. Oh, that's, that's a great story. Um, and so where are you now with Connecticut Water? Uh, tell me a little bit about its background and, you know, its service area. Number, you said about 300,000 customers. That's correct. 
serve a variety of communities, 65 different towns throughout Connecticut and about 20, 20-some towns in the state of Maine. Uh, they are you know, typical American communities, uh, small and mid-sized towns and cities, and uh, you know, all the normal challenges that we see. Uh, we're a company of over 100 years of age. We've been uh, publicly traded on NASDAQ for, for many years and uh, faithfully paid dividends and, uh, and hired employees and met the mission that we've had Tell me a little bit about the, the water utility industry in the Northeast. Uh, I've had uh, utility directors from the West, from Texas, from other areas of the country, and have not had the, the Northeast perspective. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to run a utility in the Northeast? Sure, and tell me a little bit, what are some of the sustainability initiatives that Connecticut Water has implemented over the years? Well, you know, we, uh, we are responsible to maintain over 6,000 acres of land. It's primarily watershed land, so we want to preserve that, protect it, because that's the, sort of the first line of defense uh, for the source of supply to keep them pure and, and fresh. And so maintaining, you know, the land, but, but also being a steward of the, of the infrastructure, you know, the pipe and the plants and the tanks, taking good care of those investments so that they meet, you know, the needs of not just this generation, but future generations. So, um, and then obviously just protecting uh, the water itself and treating it properly, communicating with customers to understand the updates. So uh, again, we have a lot of interest in our customers in really understanding the water systems and how they can bring us in that's great that you've achieved that that type of customer engagement. Has there been any pushback uh, from a rate perspective on, uh, you know, for example, taking care of those six thousand acres? Are uh, people saying, well, you know, the the cost is just too high uh, to maintain that type of you know water, source water protection? Uh, have you have you experienced any any difficulty getting rates approved for that type of sustainability? Infrastructure, the rates go up 1%, 2%. 
And that way it's a nice gradual increase, and people are able to adapt to that. And as well, we connect it very carefully with you know, the work that we've done. So we really see uh, you know, what we've replaced, what we've done, and then we increase the tolerance. So I think that helps a lot. Rather than just once every like some three to five years, get a 15% increase or something. But that always brings out confidence. Yeah, I think that's a really smart way to do it. Um, just if you get your, your customers conditioned to a small increase every year, I think you're much less likely to experience that, uh, that backlash, you know, in the three to five year rate case. Um, well, so. And and just to be clear, is your um, is this mechanism you're talking about it like a distribution system improvement charge? It is. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a very uh, good program. Um, tell me a little bit more about some of your activities outside of just Connecticut water. What Have you done anything in the water industry? I'd love to talk about that. You know, uh, I worked uh, in the industry now, like I said, 30, almost 33 years, and I really thought I understood the impact that state drinking water had on families and communities. But in, uh, in 2011, I went country impact tour with Water for People. Water for People is a, an NGO that partners with local communities and helps them to build their own water systems. And the goal is uh, to have a number of areas in, in different countries, 100% coverage for all people, all the schools, all the clinics. And uh, I went to Rwanda, Africa, with my daughter and others from Water for People. I was just absolutely blown away by the impact that water has on the lives of people. And, and you think you get it until you, you actually don't see it. And we see a village in Rwanda that has had safe drinking water and access to sanitation. Lives have been transformed. Kids are healthy. The girls are able to go to school rather than walk many kilometers to fetch water. And you just see the transformation. And, but we also go to the places that don't have it. And as soon as you go, you see things where they're not clean, where they are sickly, there's hopelessness, and, it, uh, and people are literally begging for water. Uh, they know why we're there, and they say, please, please, we want safe water for our children. And you see that, and you're never the same. You come back. And you come to your utility in, in modern America and you say, you know what? We're not just a public works company. We're a really a public health company. And I love talking to our employees and, and sharing that with them. And you know what? What you do is so important. It's not just 
our place and pride of being the leader in providing essential public health service to people making communities possible. So, so I'm very passionate about water for people and I'd like uh, people to look into that NGO. It's doing great things around the world. So tell me, wh- when did you go to Rwanda? Well, we went in 2011. Okay. And as you guess, a long plane trip. And, uh, but the people of Rwanda, of course, uh, they're, they're, they had suffered a terrible tragedy, you know, with, uh, with the genocide event that occurred there. And, uh, and yet, there's a, a real spirit of forgiveness there and hope. And uh, they're really trying to make something of themselves. And they see that uh, this is a chance to be the one country in Africa where everybody has access to safe drinking water and sanitation. They want to be the first. And I love that about what they're doing there. It's just a, it's a great powerful story. I agree with you. I, it's, it sounds incredibly powerful. Um, how how much progress has been made in towards that goal of clean water and sanitation for everyone? So the uh, so one of the people is, is approaching this change one district at a time. So in Rwanda, a district is like a county in the United States, and in this these two counties that they're approaching in Rwanda. There's about 600,000 people, and we now are close to having 60% coverage so that 60% of the, of the 600,000 people have access to safe and sanitation. That's up, I believe it's up 20% in the last two years. And what wonderful people does is they don't pay for it all, but they pay for a portion, but they expect the the local government and the villages involved to participate financially as well to contribute uh, their energy and talent, and so that they have a stake in this. And I, I like the old parable, you know, if you give somebody a fish, they're fed for a day, but if you teach them to fish by now, they're, they're fed for their lifetime. And that's the model that, that I like to see and uh, that's really working uh, in the world. Okay, so there's the, the financial contribution. How about the, the training to actually operate the infrastructure, you know, to the extent there's significant infrastructure? Because uh, I've, I've heard stories of, of aid organizations coming and putting in a pump, and then the pump handle breaks, and no one has clean water anymore because no one knew how to fix the pump handle. Exactly, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's so well-intentioned, and, you know, it's kind of, it's almost sort of American. You know, we want to go help. We run over there, it's the church group with the rotary club, and we go in and drill the well and have the ribbon cutting, and we go home. And like you said, in, in no short order, the well is broken, but nobody knows how to fix it. There's no money to pay for it. And so, what, what if people do is they work for years in advance of actually building the system to train and develop the local community. And uh, people get jobs, they, they charge for the water, it's not for free. And one of the people follows up for 10 years after the project, the physical project is complete, and monitors that to make sure that, that it's been done right and it's still working. Only then is it said that everyone forever has access to safety. So I think it's a great model, and it seems to be really catching up. That's, that's terrific. And what about the, the economic impact of, to these communities of getting that water? We've talked about... You know, you mentioned disease-free. The kids are in school. 
Has there has there been any follow up economic impact to help these? Sure. And how has that message been received by your, uh, by Connecticut Water employees? You know, we, uh, we survey our employees twice a year. We just want to know how they're feeling about the company. Uh, they feel as if they're doing something that, uh, you know, is being recognized. And, uh, and our employee satisfaction went from in the low 40s just before I got there to now over 85%. So, and one factor of that is people really feel good about the mission and what they're doing. So I think it's a piece of the puzzle, but a very important piece because, uh, again, it's, I think it's just natural. You know, people want to do something that's significant. And, mm-hmm. and as we understand what water, how water transforms lives, that contributes to that. Sure. Now, let's pivot a little bit. It's somewhat related uh, concerning employees. Uh, as someone who's in charge of a major utility, what do you see in the future? What are some of the kind of the, the labor issues you see looming on the horizon? You know, uh, we have a very significant demographic wave that's coming. Uh, we have a high, and it's all across the industry, not just my company. There is a great many people that are in the 50 or 60 years of age range, and so they're approaching the ends of their careers. And uh, so the next generation has to be attracted to this space, has to be developed and prepared to take on the task and the mantle of leadership. And we have to compete for that. You know, we're not the, we're not the Googles and the, and, you know, the Microsofts and the like. So, um, so what we have to do is present to these very bright, energetic, you know, potential employees that, hey, this is really an such an important thing, and you, you can have a career that's significant and impactful, and so we need to attract the folks into, into our industry, train them and develop them, so that they can take our places as we move on into our retirement phase of life. And, uh, that's a big challenge, and, and whether you want to be an executive or an engineer or a leader leader or a plan operator, I mean, the, the career opportunities in drinking water, stop and think about it, you know, Almost every town, every city throughout the United States has a, has a water utility or a wastewater utility. And so there's tremendous opportunities for young people to uh, get plugged in and have a real meaningful career. Sure. And what are some strategies that, that you see being employed 
to, you know, attract that workforce? So a lot of uh, companies are really uh, promoting internship programs to reach out in the technical schools, uh, into the engineering colleges, and uh, bringing young people in, letting them see it, try it out. Because for many of them, they've never really even thought about it. It's that classic case when we, we take water for granted. So if you don't know somebody in the industry, you don't know really what that industry is all about. So we're trying to do a, do a much better job of reaching out. I think a podcast like this can be very advantageous to people to hear that and hopefully, you know, maybe get struck by something they hear and uh, seek us out. And uh, there are some uh, universities around the country as well that are beginning to consider uh, utility management degrees. And I think that would be a major step. We're working with uh, Southern Connecticut State University to develop a program for that. Uh, so that you know, somebody could actually come out with a bachelor of science degree in utility management—that would be good. Yeah. What are some examples of these uh, positions that are going to need to be filled? Because, um, like you say, if 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 a young person is listening to this and they may not have any clue what types of positions are available, well, could you just give us some examples of that? Yeah, up the street and replace a pipe, uh, a valve, a fire hydrant. So, you know, construction trade is very important to us. We also have engineers. We have drafts people. We have chemists. Uh, we have accountants. You know, we have financial analysts. Uh, we have human resource professionals. Uh, you know, so we really have almost all the departments you might see in any other business. And so, uh, you know, if somebody's passionate about Human resources that can buy that trade at a utility. Or if, uh, you know, they want to be in customer service and solve issues for customers. You know, we've got the call center employee positions. We've got you know, those who actually go to a house and, and diagnose any issue the customer might be having with the drinking water. And so there's a great wide range. I think uh, I think almost every everybody can find something of interest to them. Well, Eric, you've obviously thought a lot about the future of the the industry. Um, could you just you know share with us your uh, reflections and perceptions of what what the water utility is going to look like in the future? You know, I will. I, I, I think a much more customer centric water utility in the future uh, is, is just right before us. I think the customer of the future, my children, who graduate from college and in the first year to jobs. You know what? They don't have a they don't have a phone at home. They got a cell phone. They don't pay bills with checks. You know, they want to you know, do the electronic funds transfer. Um, they want to know how much water they're using, how much that compares to the neighbors. What are we doing to protect that resource for the future? And that's really important. So I think the old water utility that's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and under the bridge, you know, and, and providing safe, reliable service that nobody thinks twice about, those days have to, have to drift into the past forever. And the modern water utility has to be really engaged with customers and educating and listening and uh, together partnering with the customers to uh, protect this precious resource for future generations. I think. Customers of the future will just absolutely demand that, and it's the right thing to request. 
Terrific. Well, Eric, I just want to thank you very much for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic today. Um, oh, terrific. And uh, before we go, though, Eric, if you could just tell folks who'd like to find out a little more about you and uh, Connecticut Water, where they can go to find that information. Great. Well, thanks very much, Eric. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. You bet. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Eric Thornburg, the president and CEO of Connecticut Water. Just a terrific guy and a real pleasure speaking with him. And I think now you know why we aired this episode uh, during Thanksgiving week, because to have clean, safe drinking water is something that we ought to be thankful for, that we ought to recognize and not just uh, sweep it under the, under the rug, so to speak. There are lots of places in the world that don't have that clean, safe drinking water. And I think Eric's trip to Rwanda uh, really drove that home for him. And I think that's my first takeaway is, is you know, when Eric was talking about, hey, you know, we, we can sit here in this country and say, hey, yeah, we get the importance of clean drinking water. We get it. Well, I think he's right that we think we get it. But, you know, you don't probably really truly get it until you go on one of these trips and see people that are getting clean, safe drinking water for the first time and, and see folks that don't have access to that and, and not just see a documentary or a video or something like that, but actually actually witness it. I think that would be a life-changing uh, event. And it's something that I think a lot of us uh, could benefit from. I mean, including myself, I'm not sitting here, you know, it's something I think a lot of us would benefit from. I think, I think we would get it even more if we went on one of these mission trips. And I, that would be just a tremendous uh, and life-changing experience to go on one of these mission trips. And so I hope Hope we all have the opportunity to do that one day and to make a difference in folks' life uh, without just you know writing a check or something like that. We act to actually go and and do work and and provide that clean, safe drinking water or or other forms of aid to help these people that are that really need our help. Well, another takeaway I'll discuss involves the labor issues that Eric identified. You know, we've known about looming labor issues in the utility industry for a while now. Uh, but to hear it from the CEO of a major water utility that's clearly focused on this and what it means for his company, um, it changes your perspective a little bit. I think, you know, Eric's viewpoint on the issue merits a little deeper thinking because we, you know, we as just with uh, the clean, safe drinking water and the water for people angle, I think we take it for granted. We don't always think about the the jobs that are required in order to bring us clean, safe drinking water. And so I think we need to place a little more emphasis on cultivating that workforce to bring us the, the clean, safe drinking water. And, and that's whether that's in trade schools or engineering schools um, and other vocational education venues. I think the more we can do there, the better. Uh, Eric also mentioned the utility management degrees that some universities are looking to offer. And I think that's a fantastic idea, too. I mean, uh, to graduate with a Bachelor of Science degree, as Eric indicated, in uh, you, you know, utility management, 
uh, would be, I think, a tremendous benefit to the industry. And uh, hopefully those programs uh, continue to uh, be developed and actually get out there and are offered. So um, kudos to Eric on, on working with uh, universities to get that, uh, that, that type of degree out there and available to students. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 39. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And you can tweet about the podcast using hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast directories as we talked about at the top of the show. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which all can be done at thewatervalues.com. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will see you next week. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.